It's a beautiful day. It's a little windy, but I'm glad we're here. I'm, I hope that you're glad to be together. It's definitely a blessing to be as together as we can be with the current laws and requests of the government. So let's pray together, and then we'll read the passage we're going to do today in Romans chapter 9. Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to come together, though not as close as we would like, Lord. We're thankful that you have brought us together, that the church is a gathering of believers. So that's why we're here today. Lord, we pray that you would speak through your word to us, that you would continue to show us your faithfulness to your word. Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit to hear from you and to understand your word. We thank you for this, Lord, and we trust, Lord, that you will do that, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, um, we're in Romans chapter 9, so let's read that together, and then we'll uh, see what the Lord has to say. Romans 9, chapter, verse 1 says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service, and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God-blessed forever? Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, but because not because of the works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. So this morning, we see Paul transitioning from what we heard the last time we preached from Romans chapter 8, that God's unfailing love, nothing can separate us from the love of God, and he's talking to Christians. But it's interesting, it seems a lot of people when they get to chapter 9, they're like, Why is Paul going on a tangent? Why is he starting to talk about Israel? And I think what we see here is Paul is dealing with a question that we could have. Well, you say that God's love will not fail for Christians, but didn't God say in the Old Testament that his people Israel would always be his people? I hope you see that because that's what I believe Paul is getting at. He is trying to answer the question as to how God's word could still be true, even though the Old Testament seems 
to us to have not been fulfilled in Israel. That some of God's promises didn't come to pass. And so what Paul is going to do here in chapter 9 is to prove that God's word never fails. And that's why today's message is called God's unfailing word. So he starts out his whole message with a a, a plea. And I think it's because of what he's about to say. He knows that Jews and even Gentile believers are going to reject Jews. But he's also seeing that Jews will reject this message just because they believe, well, we're the descendants of Abraham in the flesh, so we're safe. We're, we're good. There's nothing else required of us. So Paul starts out in verse, not, in verse 1 saying, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. It's like he feels like he has to be extremely... He has to emphasize. It's like exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. In Christ I'm saying this. This is not, I'm about to say something that's not going to be popular, but I'm saying it in Christ. I'm not lying. That the Holy Spirit is speaking this. So if you look at verse 2, what is he, what's he not lying about? His sorrow and unceasing grief in heart. So as a Jew, he cares deeply for his Brothers who have not believed, the unbelieving in his uh, heritage. So, Paul is experiencing grief that has no end. I think that's really important for us to see. And I would say to us as believers, if we apply this to ourselves, we too should have unceasing grief for the people of Israel who are dying every day. And I would even extend that to say we too should have grief for the loss that we know that we came out of. Many of us came out of uh, lost places. We, we We know people who are not walking with God, whether it's siblings or family members or, or past relationships. And, and do I, and I have to be honest, do I have a, a grief that doesn't end? Do I constantly think about my lost friends? And I have to be honest, I'm not as faithful as Paul to be able to say that. That I think about that all the time. I think this also gives us a picture. If you look in the book of Acts, Paul always, when he arrived in a town, he went to the synagogue first. And it wasn't until he was rejected and kicked out of the synagogue that he would go to the Gentiles. Because Paul cared deeply for his brothers in Christ. And so the same thing applies for us. We should be seeking to reach the lost. Now, does that mean we need to go to the bar on Sunday night, Saturday night? (laughs) I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we should be actively seeking to make disciples because we're grieved at the lost. In this time when people are in panic and fear, what a better time to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ that can save us from our sin. I mean, I, I can't think of a better option for us as believers than being able to share that. Uh, and, and Paul, to even emphasize how Great his love is for the people of Israel 
the descendants of Abraham in the flesh, he says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Do we see that? He said, if it were even possible, that's the idea, I could wi- if I could wish. He's, he's saying, if it were even possible, I would ask that I would be accursed. And, and that word accursed is where we get our transliterated word anathema. I know many of you may or may not know this, but uh, when somebody was put out of the church, they were anathematized. They were cut off from the church, not to enjoy fellowship with the church. And so what Paul is saying is, I wish, if it were even possible, for God to accurse me, to cut me off from the people of God, I would happily do that for my people. But he knew that that's not possible. God's calling is to his own, whom he chooses. So Paul's not putting it out there as an option. It's just as um, as though Moses, and this is what I thought about. If you think of Moses, in Exodus 32, 32, the people had all gone astray. They're dancing and, and doing all kind of lewd things, disobeying God's commands. And, and God says, I'm going to destroy them all. I'm going to take all of them out, and I'm going to start a new nation with you, Moses. And this is what Moses replied. He said, But now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I love my brother so much that if it were even possible to have my name blotted out, I would. That's how much love he had for his brothers, the Jews. And I think this tells us that, again, what I just said, Throughout history, there have been some who have chosen to hate the Jews for one reason or another, making up things. And as Christians, we have no right to do that because it's only by God's grace that we even have the Word of God, and it came through them. And we see this so clearly in the following verse, in verse 4, if you turn there and look at that. He says, to whom belongs. This is possession, not um, something that they might have had at one point. It was on loan to them. No, this belongs to them. So Paul says, to whom belongs the adoption of sons. We've, we just saw this, Romans 8, chapter 15, verse 15. We are adopted into the family of God. Who are the first and it, if you look at Exodus 4:22, and I'm just going to quote it, Paul, uh, God refers to Israel as his firstborn son. So we are in, adopted into his family. The Israelites are not wiped out by the new covenant. The new covenant was made to them, and it still applies. Many want to want to write off Israel as no longer a part of God's people, but I do believe, and we'll see this when we get to Romans chapter 11, that God has a remnant in Israel. And so, Israel is the firstborn, and to them belongs the adoption. We're being brought in. We're being grafted in, as, as John talks about. We weren't a part of the vine. 
Israel was. But some of them have been cut off and we're being grafted in. Also, he says, the glory belonged to them. What glory? The glory of God. We see that at the tabernacle, in the temple. Um, If you want to see an example, Exodus 40, verse 34, really clear there. But we just see the glory of the temple of the Lord filled the temple, so much so that no one could go in. That's how glorious it was. Or in the tabernacle, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, the dwelling place of God. I mean, that is amazing. The covenants, he says next, the covenants belong to him. What covenants? You can start with Noah. There's a Noahic covenant. There's Abraham, Moses, and David. They're all giving greater and greater revelation of God's promises that are coming. I think that's really important for us as believers to realize the new covenant was spoken of throughout the Old Testament. It's not a new thing. And so many people want to say, well, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. I'm telling you, if we throw out the Old Testament, we might as well throw out the Bible. Because the Old Testament clarifies what is true and what God has planned. It shows God's faithfulness to His Word. Then he says the giving of the law. That's pretty self-explanatory. God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. He wrote it with His very hands. And the temple service, or the word there is actually worship. So the way in which we are to worship God was shown to the people of Israel. And that's incredible. All these things belong to Israel. And that's not the end. The promises. It says in Acts 13.32, And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. This is Paul preaching in the synagogue after the death and resurrection of Christ, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And I think this is, we miss this so often. The promises are found in the Old Testament. They were given to the fathers, the patriarchs of the faith, the Old Testament fathers. And Paul's saying, that's what we're preaching to you. That's what the good news is about. We find the good news in the Old Testament. And made to the Jews. And then, obviously, to he says um, there in verse 5, also the fathers belong. The patriarchs, the promises made. Abraham, Isaac, and, and honestly you can go all the way back, back to Adam because whose who's book do we find these men in? The Old Testament. They're not, they're not in any other earlier text. They're all found in the the Old Testament. And lastly, but absolutely not least, what does he say here at the very end? And from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is overall God, blessed forever. Amen. I mean, that's the pinnacle. I mean, you have all these things, and finally we see that Christ in His human Form was a Jew. He was an Israelite. You know, Christ was fully man and fully God. And here we see God's full humanity is displayed in a Jewish body. Jewish skin, Jewish hair, 
he was Jewish. That's why I don't understand people who call themselves Christians and hate Jews. <laughs> That's like saying, oh, we, we love your food, but we're not liking the guy who started the business or, or whatever, right? It's like going to McDonald's and saying, oh, we don't like the brothers who started this place, but we like your food. Or going to Wendy's and saying, oh, we don't like Dave Thomas, you know, because he's the, the Christianity is on Christ and his human form was intentional. God didn't just say, oh, well, I'm just going to throw, I'm just going to have Jesus as a Jew. No big deal. No, God had a plan from the beginning and that plan fulfilled every promise that God made from the beginning. So though, But what Paul is getting at in showing us all these things that they had is he's saying one thing. They had all this, but many did not receive the Messiah. Just look at history. Many Jews do not follow Christ. The majority did not follow Christ. So then the question comes, well, see, see, Paul, God wasn't faithful to them. So how can he be faithful to us to keep us in his love, to bring us to the end? And then Paul makes a statement, clear as day. This is the emphasis of this passage. Really, it's the emphasis of Romans 9, 10, and 11. His emphasis is in verse 6, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. The word is fall. God's word has not fallen to the ground. It has accomplished what it has passed. And it's just like what Joshua, God said through Joshua in Joshua 21.45. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Do we see that? In the midst of what we're going through right now in our country... Do we see that God's word has not failed at all? Not in one way? God has not lost control, despite what some people might want you to think. God is still in control. We can trust God to keep His word. I mean, it, it's easier for us, though, to think, you know, how, how can we say that it seems like He has failed since the majority of Israel has rejected Christ? Well, Paul's going to answer that question. That, that's what the next half of this sermon is all about, is how we know that God has not failed. The problem is not in God. I, think, I hope you get this. The problem is not in God. The promise, problem is in us. Just see this. Because in verse 6, or, or, yeah, in verse 6, the second half, he says, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. So the first half we see Paul talking about his love for Israel. The people, all of them. And then we see this statement of God's word not failing. And now Paul is going to take this second half to show that being a physical descendant doesn't make you a part of Israel. The promise Just think about it. Of the, the more than a million people who left 
Egypt, how many made it into the promised land? Two. Only two of the adult men and women, I'm assuming that their wives made it because they were the priests of their home. They were leading them to faith. But only two made it into the land. Every other adult male died in the wilderness. For what reason? Was it God's fault? No, it was unbelief. It was unbelief. And that's the thing that Paul is getting at. God still brought Israel into the land, but not the unbelieving ones. He brought their children. Isn't that incredible? God did away with the unbelieving adult men, but their children still made it. God was gracious and merciful despite and faithful to bring about His promise to bring them into the land even though the fathers didn't believe. And Paul gives us two clear examples. His first example here is Abraham. He says, Nor, verse 7, are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. So Paul is trying to make a point here. He's saying, look, Abraham had multiple children. He had Ishmael by Hagar, and after Sarah died, he married Keturah, and he had multiple children with her. But who was the child to receive the express promise of God's blessing to the nations? Was it Ishmael? No. Was it the sons of Keturah? No. It was only through Isaac. Because God said, through, your, through Isaac your descendants will be named. Paul here is quoting Genesis 21.12. And this is the time when Sarah is upset because Hagar has been persecuting her son and encouraging Ishmael, for lack of a better word, persecuting, bothering uh, Isaac. And, and Sarah says, Abraham, we need to send him out. He can't be a joint heir with Isaac. And Isaac cries out to the, or Abraham prays, and this is what the Lord says to him in reply. Isaac is the one. He's the one I promised in the first place. Then you went out and tried to do it your own way. You tried to bring it about by your own means. But it didn't work. It didn't work. Isaac was always the promise child. The child of promise. So it's not just important that we see that it's not just a physical descendant. It is only in the children of promise that we are children of God. And we see that in verse 8. So he explains himself. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. We've already seen that, right? But the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. You see that? The children of the promise, the children of Isaac. Isaac is the child of promise. So through him, the blessing comes. 
We are made children of God through promise, not through physical descent. I think that is so important for us to see because there's so many people in the world say, well, you know, if I take my kids to church, that's going to be enough. No, we must teach our children to serve the Lord. We need to teach our children to trust the promises of God and to turn to Christ personally because this is about a promise that must be believed. If we go back to to Romans chapter 4, it's He's talking about Abraham, and we become descendants, joint heirs, heirs of the promise to Abraham through faith, not through works. And Paul is getting to that here. So we are not children of the promise, are children of God through physical descent. We are children of God through promises that He has made. And we see this. So clearly, if you look in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, if you'll turn there with me. Because Paul is talking about the same thing here, and I think it's helpful. The people of the Gentiles, or or the people of Galatia are being turned to come back to the law. They're being told, you need to be circumcised, you need to follow the law to be a Christian. And Paul is saying... No, you don't. And, the, and he uses this argument to, to show us. Just tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that a, at Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, Hagar, and one by the free woman, Sarah. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. See, he's using the exact same language. And the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking for those women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. You see that? He's saying, you're like Isaac. Believers, Christians, you're like Isaac. You're the children of promise. But as it is... But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. See, Paul is going back to Genesis 21. Same area, same context to make a similar argument. And he ends in verse 31. So then, brethren... We are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Why? Because we're the children of promise. I hope we're seeing this because it is absolutely important for us as believers to realize that it is only by the promise that we are made children of God. It is not in some 
work that we have done. God had chosen Isaac before Ishmael was ever born. God had already said, I will make you a great nation. Sarah will have a child. God's plan was always through Sarah to Isaac. And it gets even more clear. So you're saying, well, you know what? I understand that. That makes sense that God would choose Isaac because Sarah was his wife. Uh, Hagar was a, a slave or a bondwoman, a servant. You know, that, that doesn't really hold water with me, Paul. I think you're, you're a little messed up. I think you've missed something. Well, let's look at it. He gives us a second example to clarify and make it absolutely clear. The example of Jacob and Esau. He says, verse 9, and not only this, so not just this example, but there was Rebekah also when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. Do you see that? He's saying, look, we have the same mother, same father, twins, two sons. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, this is really important we see this, God is saying to us, they hadn't done anything. There was, there was no possibility of sin already in their life at that moment. And, and so Paul is wanting us to see, just in case we don't see God's divine will in Isaac being chosen, being the one, we see it here in two boys, twins from the same father, same mother, who are born before they can, are chosen before they can do anything. And this is explicit in the Old Testament. It's, it's different with Isaac because Isaac was always the child of promise. And we see that clearly. But here we see God chooses one before they're even born. Why did God do this? It says here, so that God's purpose, according to His choice, would stand. Do we see that? I hope we do. That God's choice would stand. God's will would be seen. Not because of works, but because of Him who calls. If there is not a greater text to tell us that we are chosen and called by God and not by our own works, I don't know what is. Because when we, when we read verse 12 and verse 13, it becomes exponentially clear that God is the one who calls. God is the one who gives His promise to us. So, because it was God who calls, before they could do anything or good or bad, it was said to her, who? To Rebecca, the older will serve the younger. This just shows, absolutely shows, I mean, we see it in Abraham, but here we see it especially, God made a choice that is contrary to custom. In those days, the older would be served by the younger. And just in case you didn't realize, who was it that was a manly man? 
Was it Jacob? No, he liked to hang out in the tent. He was a homebody. But Esau was the manly man. He was a hunter. He could make a good stew. His father loved him. Isaac didn't want to believe what Rebekah had received from God. And we see that because Rebekah took it in her own hands to lead Jacob to deceive his own father. But that's what we see. Jacob wasn't exactly a good person. Because some people say, well, God saw into the future and he, he saw that Jacob was going to be good, so that's why he chose him. I'm telling you, Jacob stole his brother's birthright. Then he lied and deceived his father into giving him his blessing. Then he, I mean, you look at, <laughs> he was a deceptive person. There was nothing in him that endeared him to God. So, I don't believe that one bit. God had already chosen Jacob despite his sinfulness, his inclination to sin. It's not like Esau didn't sin already. Esau was a sinner too. But God chose Jacob because he wanted to. And God didn't choose Esau. And we see this. Though... It says that descendants of Abraham, actually Jacob was the only one chosen, not Esau. We don't see the blessing of God of all nations coming to God through Esau. We see it through Jacob and his descendants. That's what Paul is trying to make the point. And he finishes, just in case we don't get it, Romans 9.13, he says, Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That is strong language. And this is eternal language. This is the thing. People don't want to see a, a passage like this. Because really, if you are not chosen, elect by God, you will spend eternity in hell. That is strong language today. There are people dying today of, of this virus that's going around who will spend eternity in hell. But God, and we'll see this next week, we're going to get into this next week, does God have to answer to us about what He does? No. He, he made a promise and He will complete it. And that's what I believe what we see here in the second in His argument for why God's Word has never failed is when we take it upon ourselves to come to God, we cannot do it. Abraham tried to use manly wisdom, Sarah's wisdom, to have a child. But that child was not God's promised child. And God said, no, my plan has always been Isaac and always will be Isaac. And once Isaac was born, we see when he goes to the, the mountaintop to, to, to take Isaac's life, he believes that God will raise him up. His faith has increased greatly. He knows that the promise is through Isaac. And the same, we see that, that, that moving to Jacob. Isaac actually tried to go against what God had said and bless 
Esau, and that's why Rebekah deceived him. I'm not uh, saying that we should try to deceive people, and I don't think that's what the Scripture is condoning. But we're seeing how God uses, is in His will, bringing about His purposes so that what He said will happen. But one thing that we forget often in the Old Testament is in the Old Testament, there's not just promises. There's also curses for disobedience. And so that's the thing we have to realize is when we are not trusting in the promises, we will live in sin and we will not be His descendants. And that was the problem. The people of Israel were like, well, we're, we're His children. It doesn't matter what we do. We're His physical descendants. So the promise is true to us and our kids and everyone after that. But entire families at a time, the rebellion of Korah, they were all destroyed because of the choice of the father of that family. And every descendant, there was no more of that family. When the plague, remember the plague that went through Israel because uh, uh, what's his, Balaam decided that he wanted to give advice to the king and say, well, if you're if your cute little girls go over and play, play with their little boys, then, then you'll be able to get a curse from God. Well, God did. He sent a, vi- a, a virus, <laughs> a, a pandemic, a, to kill the people of Israel. And it wasn't until uh, Aaron's son, Phinehas, killed two people who were most likely not married, in the tent together that God lifted the curse that was on them. And I, I think that today we need to remember that God is faithful to His Word. Every promise that God has made will come to pass. God brought justice to His people. God is not just a God of love and mercy. He is fully, but He's also a God of justice and holiness. We can't separate them. I think that's the problem. Modern day, not all churches, but many churches are trying to separate the God of love from the God of justice. He's one. I've been reading, and I would highly recommend this uh, A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. It's a very short little section. You can do a chapter easily in a sitting. They're like four or five pages. And he just talks about the character of God. And then he brings in, in each chapter, he'll bring in why it's important God's character is complete and full. And it just has been encouraging me to realize that we have to understand who God is. We need to, as believers, have a clear understanding of who God is so that we don't disbelieve that God's Word is unfailing. That when we see the fact that God has opened up the doorway to the Gospel to us as Gentiles, when we see that, we don't say, well, God has given up on Israel. He's cut them off. They're done for. Totally done. No, we just see ourselves being brought in We were outside the camp, but we're being brought in. 
And yes, Paul is making it clear. Just because you were born an Israelite does not mean the promise applied to you. And I think that's so important for us as Christians to, to, to not flaunt that. Oh, I was born a Christian, so I'm a Christian for life. It's the same principle. Just because you were born into a Christian home does not make you a Christian. And so I pray that to, today you would leave with the knowledge that God is in control. And God is faithful to His Word. He will always keep His Word. So Joseph has a song that I'm, we're going to listen to. It's a, a fairly new song that I really have been encouraged by in the midst of all that's going on. And I'm going to pray and then we'll listen to that song and dismiss. Father, we thank you that we've been able to come together even though it's in our cars and maybe not so convenient. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in our lives this week. Um, the Zoom prayer meeting we have on Wednesday, I just ask you to prepare our hearts for that. I pray, Lord, you continue to guide us as a church, give us wisdom. Lord, I pray that uh, this virus that is going around would be um, cut off. And Lord, most of all, that your church would realize where their hope should be, where their peace should come from. Lord, instead of finding our hope and peace in material things or, or in the, the wisdom of the world, I pray that we would find it in your word. Because, Lord, your word never fails. I pray that as we prepare for the next time we're able to come together, that you would continue to work through us this week. Bring about a realization of your love and mercy, but also your justice and holiness. Lord, we thank you that you're faithful to all your promises, whether they be for good or for the evil of those who you have not called. We thank you, Lord, for calling us. Pray that you would help us to live out our calling, to make our calling an election sure, Lord, not by works, but through your Holy Spirit's power in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your holiness and your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.